Welcome to another episode of the Get Back Coach presented by Apollo Media. I got Jay here with me. I literally just got home from New Orleans so I could help give you guys a college football episode this week. Okay. And a couple things happened this week. Okay. We're kind of moving past conference realignment, but some other things are happening in the inner workings of college football. Um, right now being proposed, the one transfer rule is being proposed to be eliminated. Um, Jay, tell me your thoughts on this. Uh, yeah, I mean, so I, I've been a proponent of the one transfer rule. Uh, you know, back in my day, we didn't have the one transfer rule. You kind of had to get uh, a waiver if you're going to play immediately unless you were a grad transfer. Uh, so basically what the one transfer rule is, is it allows players to transfer one time penalty free and they don't necessarily have to be a grad transfer. So if I wanted to transfer from A&M to, let's say, Mizzou, uh, I'd be eligible to play right away. Uh, and again, that didn't used to be like that. You used to have to apply for like a medical waiver uh, in order to transfer, but uh, it's one of the things that the NCAA has implemented that I've actually been a fan of. Yeah, um, I mean, just talking about what you were um, saying, like you know, back in the day, uh, the NCAA I feel like had a little bit much too control over it. There were way too many instances where guys were being approved without penalty. Um, like for example, you know, uh, Tate Martell was able to transfer pretty much without penalty. But then you have an offensive lineman from Virginia Tech, or sorry, from Illinois, who wants to go to Virginia Tech and be closer to home, and they denied him. Yeah. You know, like... It just seemed, like, really arbitrary, and there wasn't any necessarily rhyme or reason other than, uh, you know, some of those guys were... The good old, the good old money, you know? Yeah. Because, no offense, uh, the, uh, you know second string uh, defensive lineman isn't going to bring in the money like someone like Tate Martell or who they thought Tate Martell was going to be. So <laughs> just went. Um, Entrepreneur Tate Martell. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know. It, it just always seemed like some of these guys who, who had a legitimate reason to transfer, you know, whether it been family problems or things like that, weren't able to. Uh, and they weren't big names, but then all the big name guys were were able to um, without penalty. Um, but now I like the one transfer rule. If you get rid of it and you just say, "Hey, you you can you can go to four different schools if you want to." Um, I mean, I think that's can- what I do nowadays, right? I would just go to college and go to four different schools during my four years just to get a different experience. Yeah, you know, uh, go down the SEC, go or or how about this? You, you start off on the West Coast, um, and then you go north. You go to the Big Ten, you go to the Big Twelve, and then you end your career at the Just, SEC. You know, I want to you want to really experience college football, so I need to do it as <laughs> as many places as possible. You know, exactly, and you know what? And if the thing is, if you want to do that, good, fine. Good for you. But I think a lot of people are kind of not overreacting, but kind of like, oh, this is it's just going to create a more of a free agency thing. It's going to be more professional, blah, blah, blah. Listen, if a kid wants to do that, fine. But he has to – I think that's that athlete also has to understand. If you're going to keep starting over everywhere you go, that's not going to benefit you because you're going to be competing with guys who have been there already unless you go somewhere that, you know, doesn't have a whole lot of depth and you know right away you're going to come in and play. So I think that in itself is going to deter guys from going to three different schools in, you know, four years. And if they do do that, you know, so what? Yeah, I mean, most of the guys that you're seeing that are transferring more than once during college – uh, unless it's like something where they're transferring from D1 down to a JUCO back up to a D1. But most of the guys that are that are transferring multiple times within the ranks of the D1 schools, uh, they're not really the like superstar guys. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Like superstar guys maybe transfer once in their career. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you're not gonna see like. I mean, and I, there's probably exceptions to the rule, so don't uh, don't get after me too much. But for the most part, like if you have transferred and you're on your third school, you're probably not one of the guys that's going to be a needle mover, per se. So Jay, in football, I 100% agree. In football, th- this isn't going to affect anybody. I-, I don't see like a guy like uh, Addison who's who was at Pitt at at USC, and we'll, we're going to get into some of that stuff later. Okay. Dealing with uh, his old head coach, Pat Narduzzi. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't, I don't see Addison going somewhere else after this. You know, I think he's at the place he wants to be. Now I think basketball is where this will become a problem um, because basketball is more of a free flowing sport where you know, yes, they run set plays and they run, you know, sets and different things like that. But you can throw a guy in there and, you know, gel with a group or you can throw a guy in there that, you know, is going to play. So I can see guys, um, you know, going to one place and then going to another place and then thinking, hmm, this team's going to suck. I'm going to see if I can go somewhere else, you know, whereas football you kind of sit back and like, well, do I really want to leave because it doesn't matter how bad the team is, I'm going, I'm going to go to the NFL regardless. You know, so I, I, I do think basketball is more of a – is where we're going to see this a lot more. Yeah, I mean, and I think any of like if we're going beyond football, uh, you know, some of the non-revenue sports, especially like single – uh, single athlete sports, let's say like wrestling, like you get a guy that can just transfer over and over and over again. There really doesn't need to be too much of the uh, team component that, that makes it more difficult in college football. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, because like only a couple, I mean, only, I don't want to say a handful. I'd say there's about 20 wrestling programs that like make a good amount of money. Penn State any good at wrestling? I don't know, Jay. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know if the nine national titles in the last, you know, ten years have uh, <laughs> have uh, have uh, you know made an impact on uh, on your psyche. Or I don't know if you've made it, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Penn State's pretty good. Um, but like, I know like Oklahoma State has a wrestler, a very good wrestler, um, outspoken dude. Uh, it's, pro- it's probably going to end up in the WWE someday. Um, I know he's in the pool well, for a home. I think he uh, he got in a little bit of trouble, and that's why. Oh. Uh, okay. AJ Ferrari? Yes. Yeah, AJ Ferrari, yeah. Oh, yes, that's right. He did get in trouble. I just, yeah. So, I don't know. I don't think, you know, again, I don't think Penn State kind of takes a chance on you know, him, but who knows? <laughs> who knows? We'll see. But yeah, there's only like 20 that 20 th- uh, programs that make money in wrestling. You know, basketball is, is kind of like a football, um, you know, vo- but everything else is like maybe a handful, like volleyball, like Nebraska, Stanford, Texas. Other than that, nothing yeah. really. I think baseball's grown quite a bit and could be. Yes. It's one of those deals where if you get like a pitcher, can make a huge difference, uh, especially in the collegiate game, because uh, you're not having those elite arms uh, necessarily like uh, like an MLB team would. Uh, so the I think just having one arm uh, can make a difference. Yeah, college baseball, um, those Southern teams are like everyone in the SEC and all the um, even the the group of five teams in the South. They're they're just fun to watch. And again, why are they fun to watch? Because kind of like college football, you have the crowd into it. You have electric personalities. You have like electric fan bases and traditions. And you're putting that to baseball where you have a lot of people that are like, yeah, you know, when the college, you know, world series is on, I'm watching that over, you know, Sunday night baseball. Well, why, you know, obviously it's better. Yeah. But this is way more entertaining. And it's the same people that love college football more than the NFL. Yep. But of course, what does the NCAA do? They come in and say, "Hey, no more celebrations. 
Um, you can't have too much fun. You have another sport that's having too much fun. Now, nah, NCAA, now, nah, now, nah, we got to put the kibosh. We got to, quote, unquote, protect the game um, when college baseball has been more popular. Uh, probably, I don't think ever. I, I think this is the most popular college baseball has been ever. Yeah, I mean, I think the numbers support that, but yeah. we have gotten a lot of uh, non-football talk in for uh, for a college football podcast. I like it. It's not, <laughs> hey, what whatever we whatever we can do to relate to whoever is listening right now. Um, yeah. But we will move on. So, Jay, uh, I got onto the TikTok this week. My first ever. Oh. It was very, and it was, I tell you what, I was surprised. It was decently successful. Um, but it was uh, about the bozo of the week. And the bozo of the week is uh, Pat Narduzzi. Pat Narduzzi, the head football coach of Pitt, has always been a clown. He has. He's always been a clown. Let's go but back he, to the land grant days when he was uh, Michigan State's defensive coordinator. I mean, Kinda. I mean, I do remember Penn State blowing out Michigan State, and they were calling timeouts when Penn State was up 30-some um, with, like, two minutes to go. But anyway, Pat Narduzzi, in the matter of 48 hours, put his foot in his mouth three different times in 48 hours, okay? Goes on a Pittsburgh radio show. Uh, first thing he does is he takes a shot at Mark Whipple, his old defensive coordinator, um, says that he was stubborn, he didn't listen, and he refused to run the football, even when they were playing Wake Forest, who had the 118th worst rush defense, um, that they broke a 10-yard run and he went back to passing the ball. Well, looking back at this, it was like, 55 45 they passed the ball which is pretty balanced okay and they only averaged 2.5 yards a carry on the ground so again pat narduzzi has like this warped image in his mind of what mark whipple was trying to do um and i i think that's really i i, I think that's really shady like, I understand that you guys, like, there was a divorce there. But, like, to just legitimately take a shot on a radio station, um, I, I don't know. I just think that's totally disrespectful. And then he takes a shot at Michigan State in the Big Ten, which is even more asinine. Because he says, you know, Michigan State, they're one of the best teams. If He literally said if Kenny Pickett would have played, Michigan State would have gotten their butts kicked. And, listen – you can say, hey, you know, if we had our starting quarterback or, you know, and I understand the second string guy too got hurt, okay, and the quarterback position is very important. I understand that. But to not pretend like Kenneth Walker from Michigan State, I think Michigan State would have liked to have him running the football. Um, so it's not just like, uh, hey – you know, yeah, we, we were missing one of our best players. I think he would have helped us and we could have won. It was no. They would have gotten their butts kicked and then caps it off with, you know, they were one of the best teams in the Big Ten, you know, and they didn't really impress me. If we were, you know, maybe we should go to the Big Ten and win it every year. That is the craziest thing. I, I honestly, I was taken back when I read it. I think my favorite part about that is uh, the the fact that Pitt lost to Western Michigan earlier in the year, and you're saying like these Big Ten teams, <laughs> right? And like Jay, Jay, okay, they won the ACC, okay, they won the ACC. Michigan State finished in third in the conference. <laughs> They finished in third. Like, what are we talking about here? Oh, like, man. Pitt fans are not going to be happy with us today, but, I mean. I don't care. You know what? Like, 
and and someone it, my brother actually is, is the one who told me this and he says you know you, you can't lump in you know a percentage of the pit twitter people you know as a collective whole because we there are idiot fans everywhere okay very true Okay, exactly. I mean, there's idiot Penn State fans that I don't want to associate with. <laughs> it, it, no, it's true. There's definitely but, some idiot A and M fans I don't want to Exactly. We all know those these, these people. But the thing is, it's not fans saying it. It's the head coach of the team. The head coach is saying why we should go to the Big Ten and win it every year. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like, hmm, this is a Jill moment. Do you know what a Jill moment is? I do not know what a Jill moment okay. is. So back in high school, we used to call these Jill moments, all right, where someone, Jill, is jealous of Jessica because Jessica had a party and isn't invited. It didn't invite Jill. And now Jill's mad. And what this is, is Pitt and Narduzzi know they are not going to be invited to the Big Ten. They know that they're in trouble about getting left out. So now Jill is going to talk trash on Jessica because they know they're not going to be invited to the party. And that is what this is. So... It's whenever you can take a shot at Jessica, Jill is going to do it. Oh, man, that's one of the most incredible things I've ever heard. It is. It is. It's like, oh, oh, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to your party anyway. It'd be better if I was there. Screw you, Narduzzi. He's so far (laughs) up his own. No, he is. He's so far up his own ass. Like, does he even think? And again, less, probably 24 hours, maybe 36 hours later, he gets a Jordan Addison question. Okay, now, you could have handled this. Like, listen, Jordan made a decision. We wanted him to stay, but he thought something, you know, he he wanted to go somewhere else. Or he wanted to go somewhere that would better fit him. And you could have wiped your hands and it could have been done with. But no, Narduzzi had to take a shot at one of his old players and say, I think people forget where they come from or what made them. Dude, don't say that. And also, if you have players, yeah, your players now might think, hey, good for you, coach. He left us. Okay, and that's all fine. But if you're in the transfer portal or if you're thinking about going to the transfer portal or if you are a recruit thinking, if I go to Pitt and I leave, this coach is going to talk trash on me. Why would you go? Why would you go to Pitt? I'm telling you this. And I never hated Narduzzi. I never like, well, okay. I do now, but there, there was <laughs> I was going to say, this may be one of the best rants and get back coach history. <laughs> there you was, you a, don't hate Narduzzi. <laughs> there was a time where I, I just, I didn't like him because he was the, he was the head coach of Pitt. All right. And I've told my, you know, I have a friend who went to Pitt and I used to tell him like, Hey, I don't, I think Narduzzi might be, is a good fit there. He's fiery. He's, you know, he's at least getting them competitive. But I think the last, not last year, but the two years prior, I just don't, I think this pit is going to be in a stagnant six to eight wins every year. And I don't think they're going to pass it. Now they won the ACC championship this year. Okay. Good for them. Hats off. But he's gonna he's get that he gets that extension. I don't think he gets another. Yeah, and I mean 
Clemson had a, a down year for them and still had well, 10 wins. So it's like, man, it's, I'm telling you, like, dude, this is as sad as it sounds. I mean, it sounds like I'm just a bitter, petty Penn State fan. But I honestly think this might be the beginning of the end for Pitt. I mean, it, it does feel like uh, Narduzzi's coming off kind of desperate. Exactly. Like, you just won. Why are you so angry? Yeah. You just won. Like, um, yeah, and, like, Clemson had a down year. Again, they still had 10 wins, you know. But I just don't think – they played Wake Forest – and Wake Forest does not have a good defense. They just don't. They were a um, lot of fun to watch on offense, though. I they are, that. are a lot of fun to watch on offense. And I think Pitt's secondary is Pitt's secondary is pretty good. Honestly, they are. Um, I think that was one of those perfect matchups for Pitt. It was just one of those perfect matchups against Wake Forest. Pitt knew that you know Wake Forest wasn't going to stop them. And hey, and that's the other thing. Hang on. How many points did Pitt score in in that championship game? Well, I think it was fifty five forty five. I could be wrong. What are we arguing about here? Like, wh- wh- when was the last time Whipple was their coach? He didn't just leave this year, did he? Uh, I think so. If I just because if I just made that point, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to look here. Yeah, 2001. What are we complaining about here? Wait, I got I got to I got to check this one more time. Okay, so the final score of the ACC championship was 45-21 Pitt. So they put up 45 points. They put up 45 points, right? And yeah, that was Mark Whipple. Why is like is he like he put up forty five points? Why are you angry? Like, <laughs> it's this guy's insane. He is literally insane. He reminds me of like Bo Pelini, just like going absolutely scorched earth. Mm-hmm. And like that's the other thing that like I think. So, Pitt. Here's the thing with other thing, and this is the last thing I'm going to do before because I, I've spent way too much time on this. Um, Narduzzi's one of those coaches that gets really b- big on like rivalry games, okay, or big games. So, like, yeah, his teams might bring the juice as underdogs, but when when you just do that, and I don't know how you feel about this, Jay, but if if you're crazier than normal on a rivalry game, if you lose that game, it kind of sinks you out on this. Like it kind of takes your sails out. Whereas if you treat every game like I think it's what we saw with Florida against Alabama with Dan Mullen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Hey, they played Alabama really tough. Well, what happened? Because you can't get your guys back up. And on top of that, if you don't treat everyone the same, your players aren't going to play the same way. Okay. Essentially, the big games become your season. Other games don't matter. Exactly. And if the players don't see the head coach, you know, going crazy, they're not going to be as nuts. They're not going to be as, um, you know, hungry and ready to roll. Um, you know, but if you have a coach that's crazy all the time, okay, fine. Um, you know, and I know other people can say, well, you know, there's a bad side about that, or, or sorry, the good side about it is if the if the guy is like that only half of the time or all the time, then the players aren't going to respond because they're just going to think, well, he's just always crazy. You know. Yeah. It's like it's like a, it's like a coach that yells. If the coach yells all the time, the players are going to tune you out. You know, and if you pick your, you know, I don't know. It's do you, do you understand what I'm trying to say? I get I what you're trying I'm, to say. 
I'm like, I'm like talking circles here. <laughs> Freaking. That's idiot. how mad Pat Mardu, Pat Narduzzi has made Jake. I mean, it's just, I just feel like I'm taking, it's, I'm like taking crazy pills with this guy. And I'm saying like, does anyone else see how crazy this man is? Like, <laughs> God. Um, so to kind of, this is a, a, a good transition here. Um, College game, they will have a special Thursday night broadcast for the Backyard Brawl. Super fired up for that, by the way. Um, Super fired up. I will not be in attendance. Um, I didn't get tickets right away, and they are mighty expensive right now. Uh, Plus, I had some other prior obligations. Um, And also, of course, Penn State also plays Purdue that day, opens the season at Ross Aid. But – that backyard brawl, man, it's good. It's a rivalry that, sh- it, it, like, it should happen every year. Yep. Pitt and West Virginia need to play one another. It is one of the most underrated games. I mean, I think back to, was it 2007, the year when, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was Pat McAfee missed yeah. the field goals? Yeah, uh, it's, yeah, it's. No offense, I, Pat. Sorry to bring up bad memories. Uh but uh I mean it's just one of those games that was always like even if Pitt was bad, uh they would could still give West Virginia trouble, or if West Virginia was bad, they always gave Pitt trouble. It's just one of those games. I mean, I think ninety minutes separate the two places, you would know that better than I would. Yeah, but. No, it is. I I so it took me an hour and a half, or actually less than an hour and a half, uh, to get to Pittsburgh Airport airport back to West uh, Morgantown. So, yeah, which is, it's like, I mean, they're right there next to each other. It's backyard ball for a reason. Uh, this is one of the games that I'm most excited about seeing this year, uh, just because these two teams do not like each other. And every time they play each other, it tends to be a, a fantastic contest. Yeah, it's it's also a culture war. It, it's a big culture war. Um, Pit fans are typically a little bit more snobby. Um because they don't have the tailgate scene and because they don't have um i guess access to the stadium like the other like west virginia or penn state have they kind of look down on it uh you'll see a lot of people on twitter uh you know we, we don't we don't get drunk in the parking lot before we don't um you know tailgate in farmlands and we don't you know shut down they only do that for they only do that for Steelers games. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> or and Kenny Chesney concerts. And Kenny, can't forget about that. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. Um, and then you have West Virginia fans who, I'm going to be honest, are very hostile, who are very diehard, who are kind of in the thick of degeneracy. So you have. Well, the moonshine isn't a joke. They actually do drink it. Yeah, and it, it ain't no old smoky that you get at the liquor store either, okay? Someone made this personally for the occasion. You know, playing, uh, someone gets a, a stump, you're playing the stump in the parking lot. So, again, it is very much a culture war between these two fan bases. Pitt thinks they're a little bit more elite. Um, West Virginia thinks... Uh, they embrace their hostility and they embrace who they are, even if that is, like I said, being a little bit more vulgar. Um, so it is very, it is very interesting. Um, I do love it. It's again a very underrated rivalry. It's good to have it back, and I honestly believe the rivalry can help both programs if they keep it up. West Virginia needs a consistent rival in the Big Twelve. That is something that's just been missing. Pitt, you know, also needs a rival because Penn State won't play him because, honestly, Penn State doesn't have to. Um, that rivalry helps Pitt more than Penn State. Um, West Virginia, same thing with them with Marshall. West Virginia is not going to play Marshall. That only helps Marshall. I think the this rivalry, it helps both teams. It helps West Virginia get a regional rival. Um to kind of pump them up to get more guys to go there to be a part of something. I think it helps Pitt too because Pitt people are actually going to show up to this game. But this is still going to be 
there's going to be about 35%, at least 35% of the stadium is going to be West Virginia. And there will, I, I'm saying this, the college game day, it'll be half and half. Half the people will be Pitt, half the people will be West Virginia. I'm going to go ahead and pick West Virginia to win that game as well while we're here. Um, I think, I think Pitt was favored. I want to say Pitt was like a three and a half favorite at home. See, I think Pitt wins. God, I, I hate that I have to say that. I do think Pitt wins. I think West Virginia is not going to be where they want to be to start off the year. I think Pitt's going to be a little bit more together. Yes, they lose Addison, but they still have Slovis. I think they'll be okay. I will say this. If they played at the end of the year, I say West Virginia wins. But in the beginning of the year, I do think Pitt has the advantage. Um, Unfortunately, I do think Pitt wins that game. God, I hope I'm wrong. (laughs) I hope I'm wrong. And honestly, I don't think I'm going to bet on it just because I I know I'd bet on Pitt, but I I, I don't want to root for them. Screw them. Screw them. Screw their head coach. I hope they lose every game. And I hope they buy out Narduzzi's contract. We're about to go. We're in danger of going into another Narduzzi rant. <sighs> he's a, he's <laughs> crazy. He's a crazy person. Like, um. So, speaking of rivalries, okay. Speaking of rivalries, there is a. It's friendly right now, but I do think there is a rivalry, a coaching rivalry brewing with Dabo Sweeney and uh, Shane Beamer. And we are a pro. We are a Shane Beamer podcast. Yeah, by Shane way. Beamer is infinitely more likable than Dabo. Yeah. And like, and that's, and it all comes from, again, last week you have Dabo doing the gritty. Um, you know, it, listen, it was for fun, right? It was for, uh, I was like uh, cancer, uh, cancer research. So it was for a good cause, but just everything Dabo does, it just comes off as um, fake. fake. Yeah. And also There's no other he, way to put it. Yeah. He comes off as fake. He's also, he's really preachy. Um, and I don't know. It just, it also feels like, and, and I know college football has cults everywhere. Like everywhere's a cult and all the big ones are a cult. You know, yeah, A&M and Penn State both are pretty high on the cult list. They are. They are pretty high on the cult list. Okay. Uh, Texas A&M has more of the ritual stuff that makes it more like a cult. Uh, Penn State has a lot of the diehards are very cultish. Um, that's a conversation for another day. But everyone's a cult. All the big ones are cults. But this is around a person. Okay. So this is around the coach Dabo Sweeney. And I'm just saying it's I don't know. It's it's weird to me. It is. It is. I can see it though. Again, being a Penn State fan, you know, Paterno was there for 40 some years and yeah, he had a he had a cultish following surround, you know, surrounding him. Dabo hasn't been there 10 years. So like, this is already you know this did this wasn't like you know a, a a twenty year thing no 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 this has only happened over the last four years that's the strange part to me that this cult has formed so quickly so again bring up Shane Beamer who is kind of the opposite of Dabo way more likable way more authentic when he does things and he had the little um the tiktok or is an instagram video of him putting the shades on and um singing i think it was a swag on i don't know i don't know the name of the song god i sound so old um but it just it just seems more like you said authentic i think it was turn my swag on by soldier boy yeah turn my swag on by soldier boy it just he seems more likable, he seems more authentic. It seems like the players rally around him more. And Dabo used to have that. 
you know you had the, uh, I think, the I think were, their second whenever, national oh, whenever you like kind of build yourself into like that program it's hard to keep that same energy it's easy to do it when you're the underdog right right like it's easy to kind of have that rally together energy mm-hmm. when you don't necessarily have that chip on your shoulder anymore because people expect you to be great i think it takes away some of that underdog edge yeah i mean like do you remember like the i think it was one of the offensive linemen i forget his name and i wish i did um or i wish i didn't i should say um they won their second national title and he does the suge knight um the suge knight speech are you familiar with the suge knight speech jay uh i don't think i am okay so back in the nineties, you know, you had the Death Row versus Bad Boy Records. Are you familiar with that? Biggie yes, versus Tupac, Dre, you know, the whole thing. All right. So Suge Knight, the who was former football player, uh, he ran Death Row Records. Um, not a good person, all no. not a good guy. Uh he takes a shot at P. Diddy and says, Listen, here, you know, you don't see the producer, you know putting themselves on songs, being in the videos, being accepting the award or being, you know, being in the limelight. He's like, come to death row, taking a shot at bad boy saying, Hey, your producer is trying to steal your thunder, steal your limelight, come to death row. This offensive lineman says, we don't have a coach who, um, is trying to be in the limelight, which is kind of funny because now he is. But he's like, we don't, you know, we don't have a coach, you know, in front of the cameras. We got a guy that's, you know, by us, and he ends with come to Death Valley. So it's kind of like what you're saying. They've been on top for so long that I kind of I think they're kind of losing the edge a little bit. But especially that, like, you know, getting guys to go. When I heard that, I'm like, oh, they, they are going to run a dynasty for years because they're going to keep playing that. But I don't know. It's it's one of those things where just Dabo doesn't seem as – maybe it's just because he's in front of the camera too much. Because remember the bring-your-own-juice thing? It's a fair point. Everyone was behind him. Everyone's like, oh, I love this guy, blah, 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 blah. He's fiery. But I think the more we – again – we build people up and then we tear them down. And it's just like, I think everyone's what we do. <laughs> everyone, yep. Hey, at least, at least I'm acknowledging it. Okay. Cause I was like, okay, I'm okay with Dabo. And I had actually, I did have some people say he seems sanctimonious is sanctimonious is a great word. Sanctimonious was the word. And, and I didn't see it at first. It's like, yeah, what are you talking about? Blah, 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 blah. And this is well, now we're like two, three years later. I'm like, okay, now I definitely see it. Like now I see this forming. Um, but I don't know. I just I think this is going to be a fun rivalry because they're they are opposites. They are rivals, and apparently they have a great relationship. Um, but I think it's going to be a friendly friendly rivalry for the coaches with Beamer versus Dabo. But I think the I think this is going to really elevate the hostility between fan bases. Yeah. I think this is going to be this is going to be fun for the next few years. Uh, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Which brings us to our top five this week, Jay. And I'm going to kick off this top five. So this fo- top five is coaching rivalry rivalries today. Today present day. present day. So we're not we're not going back in time. Um, you know, we're not doing Bear Bryant and Pat Dye. We're, we're not doing Bo versus Woody. No, no, no. Okay, that could be something for another day. We're doing coaching rivalries, present day, and I'm going to kick it off with the one I just said um, because I want to be on the right side of history. So if this thing goes south in a couple years, we can play back this clip and said Jake had it first. Uh, Dabble versus Beamer. This thing is friendly, but it's gonna get it's gonna get better. Shane Beamer, extremely likable, way more authentic, doesn't have the wins yet, but you have Dabo who has the wins, who has a little who has a cultish following, and doesn't come off as 
authentic, kind of fake, sanctimonious, very preachy. No one likes to be preached to. So I think this, even though it's a friendly coaching rivalry, I do think it's going to be a really good one in the next coming years. So I'm going from one that is friendly, uh, like you said, with with Dabo and, and Shane Beamer. I'm going to one that is very much not friendly. Uh, so my my fifth coaching rivalry on the list is P.J. Fleck and Jerry Kill. Uh, these two guys do not like each other. So the backstory on this is Jerry Kill uh, had been a somewhat successful coach at Minnesota, yeah. yep. uh, had to step down due to health issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy that he had picked as a successor does not end up sticking around at Minnesota too long. P.J. Fleck comes in and wants to kind of rebuild the program. Uh, Jerry Kill, Coach Kill, uh, wasn't necessarily a fan of the way P.J. Fleck kind of came in and did things. And there have been some shots kind of peppered back and forth. Uh, These two do not like each other. They're not likely to play each other. Uh, I think Jerry Kill's at, at New Mexico State now as the head coach. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, obviously, P.J. Fleck for now is still at New Mexico State. Uh, but, you know, both guys were matching coaches back in the day. It would be interesting to see uh, if they did end up meeting anytime soon. Funny you say that, Jay. So Is New Mexico State on the schedule for Minnesota this year? That's my number four. And September 1st at 9 o'clock, Minnesota versus New Mexico State. You'd love to see it. The the handshake is going to be very interesting. Yeah. Was it uh, Jim Schwartz and Jim Harbaugh that had the really yeah, aggressive? It was, yeah, it was Jim and yep, Jim and Jim Harbaugh versus Schwartz. Yep. Maybe we'll see another one of those. Maybe I don't know. The thing is, New Mexico State's not good. Minnesota. No. All them, um, but so my number four was also Jerry Kill and uh, PJ Fleck. Um, Jerry, just to kind of add uh, to yours, Jay, Jerry Kill was very um, kind of offended that PJ Fleck was kind of hammering home that they had to rebuild, not not rebuild, but um, clean up the program, and also he hated the whole row the boat thing. Um, I guess I think Jerry Kill thought that that was um, Minnesota was kind of better than that to have like a slogan like that for a coach, not not just a program, but for a coach, because Fleck has used that before. So I don't think I think Jerry Kill was kind of turned off by that. And Jerry Kill has not stepped foot on Minnesota's campus since the P since PJ Fleck has been the coach. So this is a classic um, successor rivalry. We're going to see it on September 1st. Uh, listen, New Mexico State, I feel like, is going to come to play, but Minnesota is probably going to wreck them. Um, they just have too much. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not as high. Yeah, the, New Mexico State's not good. Um, not a good program. Not good. Not a good place to be. Jerry Kill, great coach. I mean, he, he was really good at Minnesota. Um, I hope he gets a better job someday. The casuals will recognize him as the guy holding the the ice cream bar up to yes. the heavens. That's right. He was the guy. Yep, that is that is true. I do remember that. Um, so anyway, that is my number four. Uh, Jay, your three. Or sorry, uh, your so four. my my number four is going to one that has been mostly friendly thus far, almost like a buddy cop movie uh, during the Corona days the early Corona days, uh, Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach. I think uh, mm-hmm. everyone remembers the the press conference where <laughs> Mike Leach was trying to pull down Lane's mask mm-hmm. and no one really knew what was going on, including Lane. So it's it's kind of just been like a, a friendly or mm-hmm. uh, banter between these two. And they're both incredible offensive minds in college football. Uh, this is my number four. And obviously the Egg Bowl being the Egg Bowl, uh, that can be a very, very chaotic game. So this is another one where we'll have to see how long it stays friendly. It just adds to it, though. You know, it, it just adds to that rivalry. And, yeah, like you said, it is kind of like a friendly – kind of like a, I do like that reference, like like a buddy cop movie. Um, but Leach is just so 
dry with how and he's just so bizarre and then you have lane kiffin who is a little bit more i, I kind of want to say charismatic and he's a little bit more flashy and he's you know doing tiktoks with his daughter and he's just very young younger guy mike leach older guy been in the game a little bit so it it is kind of crazy though i did refer to lane kiffin as a younger guy but he's been around for a while yeah it helps you when know? you get your start a little bit early but yeah for like sure. how old, when, how when old you get to the head coach position as early as you do uh or as early as he did in his career it, it feels like he's been around just so long yeah i mean he is um i mean yeah kiffin's 47 and i just referred to him as a young guy i don't know it's just where my mind is i just keep I keep picturing him at USC. Um, but again, you know, uh, you have Leach who's 61 years old and is going to talk about pirates and Sasquatch and <laughs> anything under the sun. Anything, anything Literally. could be a topic. Um, okay, so that leads me to my number three. Um, this one's a little personal. Um, these two guys don't like each other. They had a series... Uh, four games uh, that reignited the rivalry. Uh, Pat Narduzzi and James Franklin. Uh, Pat Narduzzi and James Franklin uh, do not like each other. Um, Franklin has took some shots early. Um, again, Penn State was in a place where they kind of need someone to come spark the program. Uh, he made comments about dominating the state. Uh, also, he said Maryland and New Jersey are a part of the state, which did not um, <laughs> I can only imagine how, how people took that. Maryland and Rutgers didn't like that very much. Um, but anyway, Narduzzi took exception to that. Um, and listen, Narduzzi's fired back. He's made comments about what they do. You know, everyone knows who they is. Um, and again, Narduzzi, Narduzzi was after they beat Penn State was pretty fired up, you know. I think Franklin after they lost in 2016, um, you know, not make excuses. Penn State had a bunch of dudes out on on defense, high scoring game where they lost, um, and I think Franklin was pretty ticked off. Tony Dorsett was talking trash about Trace McSorley while Trace McSorley was doing an interview. Um, so there's that. And I think after Franklin, after Penn State beat them, he made the comment that didn't help things. He said, in the full quote, again, not he knew what he was saying, but this is the full quote. He said, you know, they beat us last year and that was like their Super Bowl. Uh, or no, sorry, before, before that, he says, you know, we treat every opponent the same. So we're not going to, you're not going to see us go down. You're not going to see us go up. We're going to treat every opponent the same last year. Beating us was like their super bowl. And again, Penn state played Akron the week before, you know, beating Pitt today was like beating Akron last week. And the media had a frenzy. Now, listen, I know what James Franklin was saying and he 100% meant what he said, but you do have to have the full quote there. <laughs> you do have to have the full quote but james franklin knew okay this is the whole thing but i'm gonna say this and i think he knew it would rub them the wrong way oh he absolutely knew he knew and but these two guys don't like again i think narduzzi hates franklin's again franklin is I don't want to call him kind of like Lane Kiffin, but like he's again. He, he has a, he has a certain air about him. He does, he's, and it's he like, has a certain confidence to him that maybe could rub people the wrong way. Exactly, you know, and you know, but again, he wants to be this. He wants to take. He wants to be a little bit more modernized in the coaching. Doesn't want to be a curmudgeon, and again, that's going to rub people the wrong way because when you go from Joe Paterno to James Franklin, they are completely different in um, how they come off. Um, now, Narduzzi is more of the old school, 
um, old school guys. Again, he has arrogance too, but it comes off completely different. So yeah, these two guys, they don't like each other. Um, and you know, Narduzzi's one and three against Penn state, just to kind of throw that out there. Okay. Uh, you're number three, Jay. So for my number three, uh, Lincoln Riley versus every Oklahoma coaching member past and present. Uh, so obviously we know what happened with Lincoln Riley this year. Uh, in what was some of the most shocking news, I think until the realignment news drops, mm-hmm. uh, Lincoln Riley decided to leave Oklahoma. Uh, you know, a, a fantastic program competing for conference championships year in, year out, about to make the move to the SEC. Uh, decided to pack up and head to the greener pastures of the West Coast and uh, took the job at Southern Cal. And when I tell you everyone at OU was shocked by this, I mean, it was it was wild. Uh, mm-hmm. And there were some definitely some feelings hurt, including by the guy who uh, kind of pegged him as his successor in Bob Stoops. And, I mean, Brent Venables is an old Bob Stoops guy as well. So you, you can bet there was uh, no love lost. Uh, so I think as long as Lincoln Riley is in the coaching profession, there's always going to be some kind of rivalry between him and whatever coach uh, is manning the helm at OU. Yeah, it's Lincoln Riley versus the state of Oklahoma. That's pretty much what we got going on here. Um, but yeah, I don't think it, it, do, it doesn't matter who the next coach at Oklahoma was going to be. It's it's all it was going it was going to be that. But with with him some being somebody in Bob Stoops' tree as well. In Brent mm-hmm. Venables, I mean, I think yeah. that just adds another layer to it. Could we say Bob Stoops versus Lincoln Riley, even though Stoops is the AD? I think we could. Yeah, Bob Stoops versus Lincoln Riley. I mean, technically. Um, but, yeah, it's – man, that's – I hope – God, I hope they play each other in a bowl game. That would be so magical. Oh, yeah. Um, honestly, I think our last two are the same. Uh, I think so I have – I have number two, Ryan Day, Jim Harbaugh, and number one, Jimbo and Saban. Bang. There it is. So, yeah, uh, we got the last two the same. So, let, let's oh, let's speak on Day and Harbaugh. Um, Harbaugh leans into this rivalry way more than Day does. Harbaugh takes personal offense to Ohio State. He, I love dis- it. He disdains them. He hates them. Ryan Day, not I'm not saying Ryan Day doesn't care about Ohio State. I'm just saying that I don't think Ryan Day hates Michigan like Jim Harbaugh hates Ohio State. I think Ryan Day's just like, hey, I'm on a really good program. I want to help my program. I want to run it the best that I can. And I think Jim Harb, I think Day is kind of like, dude, why are you so angry at me? Like, what did I do to you? Type of deal. Um, and I think it stems from um Listen, I don't like Jim Harbaugh, but I do respect Jim Harbaugh because Michigan, for the most, Michigan does Michigan does things the right way for the most part. Um, their guys go to like they have good graduation rates. Uh, their guys go to class. They have an academic standard when those players enter there, and they don't really quote unquote you know back. Um, when you could technically, when you could technically cheat in college football, um, or technically when it was illegal, you you didn't see Michigan doing these things. And I think Harbaugh knew personally that Ohio State was doing these things, is doing these things. Ohio State runs it a lot like an SEC program, where you're going to see some money exchange hands. And a Harbaugh the way it should be, yeah, the way it should be. Harbaugh talks a lot about this in the book Fourth and Long where he says he basically knows that there are schools that are better than Michigan who are cheating, uh, uh, cough, cough, uh, Ohio State. And I think that's where the disrespect comes in. Um, and Day, and I'm, I'm trying to think of the comment. What was the comment that, oh, yeah, he basically said that 
Ohio State was cheating without saying it. And Day, of course, took offense to that. And Day, you know, shot back at Harbaugh. So, yeah, these two guys don't like each other. Comes back to the COVID year with Ryan Day. And a little before that when Ryan Day became head coach. But, yeah, uh, Harbaugh, I think Harbaugh hates Ohio State and Day more than Day hates Harbaugh. 100% agree. Uh, And I think this is, again, just like, Harbaugh is one of those guys that loves to have a chip on his shoulder mm-hmm. about something. He'll always find something to have a chip on his shoulder about. And being a Michigan guy through and through, Ohio State is the easiest uh, direction to aim that shot. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's going to just be a constant needling from Harbaugh on day. I think eventually day is going to snap. He kind of has that presence of like where he's like kind of trying to be reasonable. And then one day Jim Harbaugh is going to go just like too far and it's going to just make, it's going to be Ryan day's Joker origin story. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it, it oh man, again, like these two, again, it all comes from the recruiting aspect. You know, it also doesn't help that Jim Harbaugh, you know, is a Michigan man and hates everything about the state of Ohio, but it all comes from recruiting. Listen, Marcus Freeman took a little shot saying that, you know, hey, they don't got to go to class at Ohio State. We do that here. And then yet someone, you know, tweet at Marcus Freeman say, uh, dude, I like did your papers at Ohio State. Like, <laughs> and again, I know that's going on pretty much everywhere, you know, but still they're Notre Dame, Michigan, uh, hell, I'm going to throw Penn State in that mix as well. There is a standard there with their academics and with their recruiting that I just feel like Ohio State really doesn't care. I wouldn't be surprised, but... Am I bitter? Am I bitter? Maybe a little bit, but still. <laughs> okay. And that um, brings us to number one. Number one. Of course. Uh, tech, I, uh, Jay, you go first since you're the... Yeah. So, uh, a little bit better than I do. Former, yeah. So, while uh, Nick Saban was at LSU, his coordinator was one uh, James Fisher, also known as Jimbo. Uh, Jimbo Fisher would go on to be the head coach at Florida State. Saban went on to the NFL for a little bit. Saban comes back, becomes head coach at Alabama. you know, after winning a national championship at Jimbo uh, or at Florida State, Jimbo decides to head to Texas A&M. Uh, so, I think I mean this obviously goes back to the days when they were on the same coaching staff. Yeah, uh, there, there's some. Saban's a defensive coach. Jimbo Fisher's an offensive coach. So there's there's a little bit of conflict there already in practice. That right allegedly. there. Yeah, that right there. And Jay, I don't know how. I don't know how you guys were at Texas A&M, but like there is a, there is a built-in rivalry already between the defense and the offensive coaching staff. And, and now they have to, to work be. together. They have to work together when they have to, but like when it's practice, there's, I think everywhere I've gone, pretty much everywhere I've gone that, that has seen some success, the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator have this built-in rivalry already you're kind of competing against each other but the issue is i mean obviously with jimbo and nick nick saban's a defensive coordinator becomes a head coach Mm -hmm. he's gonna look more at the defense so jimbo being kind of the offensive guy there uh is i guess feels kind of like a little bit neglected, right? Like, yeah, oh, Saban's yeah. spending a lot more time on the defense than on the offense. Uh, the the drills and and uh, practicing against the team scrimmages tend to be weighted towards the defense. Uh, for me, like at A and uh, we felt more like an offensive minded team, uh, mm-hmm. and so like the offense, it always seemed like it was weighted towards the offense. Uh, but it goes back to that rivalry between offense and defense. So there's something built in there with Jimbo and Nick already. And then I think it's really started to get kind of heated back up 
when they talked uh, to Jimbo last year before the 2021 season. And uh, he, I, I can't remember what the comment was, but it was something along the lines of, I'm going to, we're going to beat their ass while Nick is still there. When Jimbo said that. Right. And then Saban had the great quote, which turned out to be not true, but a great quote. He said, he asked the reporter whenever he was told about that in golf. Right. So there's, <laughs> oh, yeah. there was that oh, little, golf? yeah, I remember that. Yeah. There was that little, two-step kind of last year mm-hmm. so this year AM beats alabama signs the number one class and at the booster event saban makes reference to AM buying players so then to jimbo i think that was like all right all the all the restrictions are off we can say anything mm-hmm. out here now Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, it's just, it's such a great storyline. You have offense versus defense. You have the pupil versus the mentor. There's so many, like <laughs> I said, like they may have played nice at sec media days. I guarantee you that animosity is still there. Yeah, I, I do think it is still there again. I understand what Nick Saban was trying to say. I think Nick Saban was trying to say, listen, um, if you want us to stay on top, we're going to have to keep up with this arms race. Um, and again, he alluded that Texas A&M has lots of money that they were giving players. Um, and then I think Saban does say, you know, cause cheating's legal now. And that's the part where I think he definitely could have worded it better. And I think he does wish he worded it better. Um, but I understand what like Saban's trying to say is like, listen, like if you want us to like keep this going, we we can't just um, show up and win games. You know, we got to Everyone's gonna have to keep pulling the rope in the same direction. We need the resources. We need the money um, because this is gonna go away if we just neglect this. If we don't keep doing this. Um, but yeah, I think Jimbo had every right to be angry. And, of course, then he goes on his big rant of, you want to know how God became God? Maybe look into that. I was like, oh. You have to, you have to say it faster if you're going to do a Jimbo. Yeah. And, Jimbo, <laughs> what do you think about what Nick Saban said? Well, you know, Nick Saban, how did he become God? Let him know. How did he become God? Check that out. Is that, better? <laughs> Is that a better Jimbo? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to work on it. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, he, he alludes to that kind of like, Hey, Saban was, you know, uh, again, everyone pretty much is cheating. Um, yeah. even when cheating I'd be disappointed illegal. if my school wasn't cheating. Yeah. Well, must be nice. Um, <laughs> uh, but I think they, I, I think then Jimbo kind of alludes to like, Hey, Alabama was cheating this entire time. Like, why is Nick? angry you know yeah like i was there like, oh man this is great yeah they'll they play nice now but i think there's true animosity there i just i really wish they could just go full wwe promo on each other all the way on the lead up till the game yeah both both west virginians man yeah. both west virginians um lived maybe 40 minutes from each other you know, Jimbo's Crazy. from Jimbo's from Clark Jimbo's from Clarksburg area, and then you have um, Sabin, which is Northern Marion. So they're like, I think a county over from each other, about forty minutes away. So, I mean, yeah, two West Virginia guys at the top of college football at each other's at each other's throats. Wild and wonderful, beautiful, as they call it. Um, but no, it this this is gonna be this is gonna shape up to be oh fantastic. Uh the the promos we need to make, you know, uh when we when we do have an intern, when we hire our intern, they have to make a W an old school like WWE promo of Nick Saban versus Jimbo Fisher this year. It'll be like, perfect. Like Rock and Stone Cold WrestleMania with like My Way by Limp Biscuit in the background that like <laughs> like that magically resurfaced this weekend. I need that with Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban. 
before they play each other. That is a beautiful we gotta vision. We got we to get someone who does videos. But Oh, man. Well, that just about does it today. Um, oh, before we leave, uh, the hat that I'm wearing right now, um, obviously listeners can't see it. Um, it is Blind Hockey. Uh, make sure you follow Blind Hockey on Instagram and on Twitter. And if you want more information on Blind Hockey, make sure you make sure you message uh, Kelsey Taylor uh, at at what K else is new. Okay. So at Kelsey Taylor at what K else is new. Um, want more information on blind hockey, make sure you message her and make sure you follow blind hockey on Twitter and on Instagram. But from us at the get back coach, thank you for tuning in as always. And have a great week.